This episode of the Happy Hour is brought to you by Video Games Monthly. Video Games Monthly is a monthly subscription service that delivers retro video games right to your door. VGM is a must for gamers who own classic gaming systems from the 80s to the 2000s. VGM offers 3, 4, and even 10 game subscriptions for the NES, SNES, Nintendo 64, Sega Genesis, and now both Game Boy and Game Boy Color. And best of all, you keep the games. Every month, they send out a variety of well-known retro favorites and the unique ones to make sure you consistently get a well-rounded gaming experience. Take a look at their website at www.videogamesmonthly.com to sign up for a monthly variety of retro video games. And remember to tell them that the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce sent you. My name is Johnny Womack, and I'm part of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. We are a twice-weekly podcast dropping on Tuesdays and Fridays for your listening pleasure. The audio you're about to hear is Deuce and I live from Free Play Florida, the largest retro video gaming convention. And we want to give a big shout-out to Brian Jones, the co-founder and creator of Free Play Florida. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce live from Free Play Florida. And welcome back to the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. I'm Johnny. And I'm Deuce. And of course, and I'm this Todd is Rogers. It's Todd Rogers to join us here at Free Play Florida. And of course, this is the uh, Double Tree by Hilton over here at SeaWorld. And they're having this amazing convention today, a retro gaming convention. People of all ages, all walks of life here love their video games. And that's what this is all about celebration of this video game format that we love. And uh, Todd Rogers, for those that don't know who you are, explain a little bit about why you're here. Well, um, I'm recognized as being the first paid professional video game player. I've been in the industry since 1980, worked for 42 software publishers from 1980 to 1993. Uh, my function here today uh, was to do a uh, speaker panel, uh, run the golf contest against the, uh, I would go against the golf champion, uh, Keith Swanson, uh, run the Kaboom One Bucket Challenge to uh, the participating public, and uh, Dragster. Uh, fastest run on Drexter, the Atari 2600. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, so how long have you been playing video games? Um, since Pong. Late 60s, early 70s. We had a Pong system in 1972. Uh, my dad went out and bought an Atari uh, in 77. And I thought, wow, it was a lot better than the Pong. Even though yeah. I had a couple systems between 1972 and 77. Sure. So, uh, you know, we had a lot of games to select from back then. Uh, I remember going to the, the stores and looking for the different colored boxes and say, oh my god, there's a new game that's released. And then, of course, when when Nintendo was released, it was you know I I attended a lot of the trade shows because I worked for Activision back in '82, so I knew that there was like at least 400 games that were to be released to the public that weren't released yet. So you know, jumping nice, on that on nice. that was just uh, sure. just as exciting. Yeah. So, do you have a favorite game? Like, if you have to pick one, I know it's a tough question. Like, um, I usually if, if it's the arcade game, I usually go with uh, Robotron because of its complexity and simplicity that anybody could play it. Uh, but the, the the championship level is also there as well. Most people don't last more than five minutes when they play the game. Yeah, I know it only lasts like a minute. So uh, uh, it's funny for me because like growing up when I, when I was playing. So for me, it's like growing up. My first experience was an Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and I remember playing the game and uh, playing Pitfall and all that. And then that kind of progressed me into the arcades because back in the eighties, arcades was 
you know, were huge. People, everyone all, all around the corner, there was always like some sort of pinball machine or arcade in a 7-Eleven or, you know, laundromat. Like, I remember days just feeding quarters away at a bowling alley, just playing and playing and playing joust and all that stuff. And for you, for my question to you is, how do you feel about console gaming? Well, I, I'm primarily known for having records on consoles. You know, years ago, like you say, walking into a game room, which is sort of like walking into free play here. I mean, it's the ambiance of being able to mingle with people that you know or you're going to meet to watch them play a game that you wish you could be good on. The arcades didn't have the capability of staying open 24 hours. This is why I had so many world records on home console games, because I could play at my leisure whenever I wanted to. Plus, I worked for 42 software publishers, so it was sort of my job. I mean, I worked at Florist in 1978 making 235 an hour. And when Activision hired me on at a grand a day, and if the event was four days, I made four grand, you know, hello, who am I going to make more money for? Working, playing video games, or am I going to be working at a florist? So, yeah, yeah the, 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 the comfort about working, I mean, playing video games at home is you can play as long as you want. Although the arcade level, I, uh, as Billy Mitchell equates it to, like, uh, the upper echelons of the, uh, the Camelot, you know, you had the better graphics, the better gameplay, and the ruddy graphics of the, the home console was just... You know, it was separated back then. But nowadays, you look at the modern console, and the classic, the classic arcade doesn't hold a candle to it. Well, it's interesting, too, because the art aesthetics and what they were able to use. Because you look back, I, I, I'm not a gaming historian, but I know a lot about the history of gaming. And for me, it's like when I, when Ralph Bear, I say this a lot, Ralph Bear pretty much introduced the Magnavox Odyssey, and he brought it onto the world. It was still, He was still a little ahead of his time. It didn't really hit really hard like, you know, you think later on. But for me, it's like, I like to see that innovation, people innovating after each other time and time again. We just talked to uh, Gary Stern from Stern Pinball. He's still doing pinball stuff. Like, it's insane to see, like, how it's almost having a re renaissance, a resurgence, if you will, of the vintage retro gaming. And it, it's exciting because somewhere like something like Free Play Florida, you could just, it's like praising, it's like uplifting, it's championing these type of uh, gaming devices. It's, and that was the thing years ago. You had one developer that was slated to make a game. And you know, the manufacturer said, here, make an idea, draw it on paper, put it on a computer, and there you go, you have nine months. To where, nowadays you have scores, teams of people, one that works on the soundboards, one that works on graphic boards, one that works on gameplay, one that works on in ingenuity of the game, where, like I said years ago, it's why games may have looked simple years ago, but the, the game complexity was, is enormous. You, when you play the game, you know you're playing something that was difficult, you had to use your brain to play it. Well, it, yeah, it's funny because when you look at, uh is it Nolan Bushnell and Al Alcorn when they decided to team up and put out uh, Pong like that? It was simple mechanics. The ball going—it's like a virtual ping pong essentially. But like that hit the world by storm because it's like a it was easy to pick up and play. B it was simple controls and also it was like it was so so addictive that people would just play all you know all day long. And then when they brought it to like the home console version, they actually brought a just a pong machine essentially to the home console version back in like 1976, 78, 77. They brought that to the home console, and that's when console gaming, in my personal opinion, this is really before Atari really took off. It was kind of like the pre-Atari phase, and so that kind of just expanded, and you have that one killer app, if you will, that really kind of, you know, makes, uplifts that device and that machine, and then, of course, we talk about Space Invaders. Space Invaders was huge in the arcades. People lost so many arcades, so, so many, uh, People lost so many quarters into that game, and it just kind of just changed the face of gaming forever. And the thing is, developers wanted to bring out the competitive nature in the public, and that's where they made their goal mine. Everybody wants to be better than somebody else. So it's like, oh, we sure. play Pong, yeah. and I beat you every day. 
it's going to get boring after a while. Sure. But then if you bring out something else that has another heightened level or uh, a difficulty to the game, like with the game Kabooey that I worked on, uh, you know, have you ever played Kaboom? You slide the buckets back and forth, sure. catch the bombs, made by Activision. Well, we developed a, a, a modernized version of Kaboom called Kablooey, and you have different power-ups in the game, that, and that's the essential of what makes the game better. It's, it's an old concept, newer kind of ideas, and you can bring the newer generation of gamers to play older generation of gaming. Sure. What's your favorite game that you got to work on? Um, well, I think Wacko. Uh, Marvin Glass recruited me into beta test Wacko. Uh, that was an arcade game back in the early 80s. It was nice. I, I beta tested for Diablo 3 uh, oh, six wow. months prior to it was released. Um, Wizard 101, Pirate 101 by King's Island uh, for the uh, the PC. There, there, there's been so many in my 40 years of involvement with the gaming industry. Uh, for me to pick one is is, is crazy, but to uh, to share the the, the enjoyment I had working with different companies. It's, every, every company is uniquely different. I mean, I worked for a company called Suncom that, that boasted the unbreakable joystick, the TAC-2, and then I played the Catalan and broke their stick, and I was really concerned because I put my name behind it. I said, hey, I can't endorse your product. I'm like, oh, yeah, you, you're under contract. I'm like, no, I broke the joystick, and if I can, other people will too, you know? Sure. So what do you think about modern consoles? Um, I think in the, when they first come out, it's it's hard to judge a console because there's not enough software product for it. A lot of people are too quick to say, oh, this one sucks because of whatever feature it has because they're comparing it to something else. But if they give it enough time and enough months that go by and enough software publishers come up with games that intrigue the public, that is the way to really grade a new console uh, compared to older ones, what its flexibilities, what its limitations are, and how much fun and value enjoyment you can get from it. Well, it's funny because we talk, I talk to a lot of my friends and there's a lot of there's people here as well at uh, Free Play Florida that also have a similar experience where they grew up in the 70s and 80s and they were playing pinball and arcades and then once the Atari kind of fell off they fell off of gaming and then they had not picked up a gaming console if at all and then all of a sudden to them it's very overwhelming especially with the introduction of the dual analog sticks because a lot of players if they use a joy original joystick they, they're used to that but using the dual analog stick is very cumbersome and very difficult for the because there's not a, a bunch of muscle memory attached to that. I didn't know if you had any in thought uh, any thoughts on that. I think a lot of people didn't have a chance to evolve when gaming evolved. Uh, I personally have issues with the newer newer controllers simply because I'm used to playing on the Atari 2600 joystick, and the more modernized ones you have to grip them both. I mean, when I play Crazy Taxi on the Dreamcast. You know, and I, I run contests. I play a blindfolded deaf, and I use one hand. I don't use both hands. So, yeah, I mean, you, you have to adapt. I mean, if there's a game, yeah, uh, being comfortable is everything. If you're not uncomfortable playing a game, uh, what's the enjoyment of playing it? So a lot of people, they had lives. They had jobs. They grew up. You know, and they didn't have the capability of working with publishers like I did to live out their dream of playing games and getting paid for it. Well, that was the thing. Like Deuce and I, we've been playing video games since we could hold a controller, and oh, we've yeah. never stopped. Yeah, never... Deuce, speak up. We don't hear you talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, Deuce. What's with that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Get so, involved in a conversation. But, yeah, yeah we, we're pretty much, you know, like, when it comes to gaming, like, you and I never stopped. We've just been playing continuously. We're, yeah. we're I guess, I would say we're one of the few, but we're, we're, we're one of the few of the generation that in the 70s and 80s that yeah. continued playing on all the way till today. Yeah. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I, I, I've got to agree exactly with what you're saying because, uh, prime example, my girlfriend, we love playing Super Nintendo. She loves it. Tried her on the 64 with the one thumbstick. She was okay. A PS4 controller, I might as well put a snake in her hands. She was like, I, I don't know. No. It's like I'm going back to play Mario. 
like, and she loves like Super Mario and like stuff like that. But like, I think you're right. It's if you haven't grown up with the two thumbsticks. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you can't do it. The developer should take that to heart. They should listen to the consumer like they did years ago yeah. and say, okay, we have a joystick or a controller. Excuse me, not a joystick. We have a controller that's indicative of our brand. Yeah. Why not make a universal controller or make different controllers that look like other brands but are of their logo or of their brand? Sure. You know, who wants to pigeonhole themselves to just one controller and then the next system comes out, you play it, you don't like it because one, the controller isn't is what you like to play on. Well, also, I also think... I don't do tea. Woo! Uh, Woo! Was that Rick Flair? No, <laughs> oh, we love wrestling. We're huge wrestling fans. Should I have my, my friend MS Hulk come up here? He yeah. uh, owns a wrestling company. Worked for the AWA. So I wasn't trying to hold. No, your no, hand no, no, you're cool. It's cool. I was grabbing for the joystick. I mean, the, the yeah, controller. It's, it's muscle memory. You're just like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it's funny because you talk about the controller schemes. I think what's so great about a lot of companies is they understand what's hot and they understand when to hit something. When Street Fighter 4 came out for the modern consoles or last gen consoles, they put out arcade, pretty much they look just like arcade cabinet sticks that you, they're like three or $400. Oh, like the hot rod. Yeah, like they bring them all out and it feels very much like an arcade. And I think a lot of like core gamers that grew up playing in the arcades really appreciate that because Street Fighter 2 was a phenomenon in the arcades back in the day. It really revolutionized that genre of fighting, which you know you don't really see a lot of arcade other than like Tekken or something like that. There's not Have you ever played Robotron? Yeah, I've played it once or Have twice. Have you ever tried to play Robotron on, on eight keys? No. Like this? No. Yeah, yeah, I got 400,000. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it, it had to really work for that, 400,000 too. And sure. then even with a... With a a PS2 or whatever, whatever yeah. system it's on, the controllers, it's not two joysticks. You're, you're, you're going like this, and yeah. it's maddening. Yeah, so I just think it's interesting how you know gaming companies, you know, Nintendo is is very special in our hearts because that was like the, I, mean, I my uncle owned an Atari 2600, and it wasn't mine, so I didn't feel, like I played it a lot, but it wasn't mine. It wasn't until 1986 when I got my uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, and from that point on, I just fell in love Have with Have you had a chance to see Nintendo Quest yet? No. It's a, it's a great documentary about uh, Jay Bartlett's quest to find all 678 Nintendo games within 30 days. Oh, wow. So if you have a chance to watch it, please do. It's one of the best documentaries, not just because I'm What's in it. What's it called again? It's called oh. Nintendo Quest. Nintendo yeah, Quest. Yeah, yeah, no, seriously. I, 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 I'm probably in 15 documentaries, but I think the way the preface is to how it, what, it's, what it's conveying and how, how it's done is really, really well. Yeah. That's awesome. And I if mean, you're a Nintendo fan, it's right up your alley. Well, yeah. we've been Nintendo fans forever. And like I, I, I can tell you what. Me and him probably can't tell you the first memory of when we bought our first car, but we can tell you exactly where we were at, what we were wearing, and what it smelled hey, like when we got original Nintendo. What's your favorite Nintendo game? Uh, all time? Yeah. I, well, I guess it's hard to say what my favorite one of all time is. I would probably have to say Super Mario Bros. 3. Yeah. For, for the, uh, and yours, uh, Deuce? I would probably go with the original Legend of Zelda. Okay. Just because I'd never really played an RPG before. I was so used to, like, platformers, and I'm like... Whoa! It's a top-down bird's eye view. Yeah. I'm like, like, this how, is totally how old are you guys? different. How, how, We're 33. 33 okay, yeah. so do you favor more the Nintendo? I'm not trying to put you on a spot here, no, but do you like the Nintendo more than the Atari? I, I never different. played much Atari. I, I think it's yeah. different because with me, when I played Atari, it was it, for me. It was like it was the first time I really had a chance to play a console game and a PC. No one, no one I knew owned a PC. It was they were very expensive. So this was back during the floppy days, obviously. But for me, it's like when Atari came out. 
It was very experimental, but they but they were also fooled you. It was one of those things where they had this amazing box art. You were like hand painting, hand drawn oh, yeah. box art. You look you look at it, and you're like, oh my god, this looks amazing. And then you get the game, and it's not indicative of what you've seen on the right. cover. Et so, anybody? Yeah, like well, I, et. You know, is, I, I was writing for Joystick Magazine, and there was a game called uh, Cosmic Swarm by Kamabit. I've heard I, of it. I, I yeah. absolutely hated it. Yeah. I did, and it conveyed in my my uh, in, my report of the game. And the publisher goes, oh, we can't say this. This is one of our sponsors. I says, wait a minute. You're asking me what I think about the game, and I'm not going to hose people into spending $40 on something that's really garbage. And this is really garbage. And uh, so you have to be very, very savvy about who you make offend. You know, I wasn't working with the team, so I don't know what kind of hours they invested, but I could have handed them plenty of idea of how to make their game better. Well, I think... But you're absolutely right about the box art versus yeah. what you were getting. Yeah, and I think Nintendo did the polar opposite. Like, their box art was very colorful, but it wasn't like hand-drawn paintings, if you will. So you kind of got a better at representation well, of what that gameplay was. Here's an example. Was. Look at Activision games. Look at how they blended colors. They already had a certain amount of memory to work with, so if you blend colors, they make when you put them together, they look like other colors. Other colors you couldn't really normally get. So for doing that, their, their games look more realistic. Well, Nintendo, if I have to answer your question, I would say Nintendo probably, because Nintendo has always been innovative. Every time they've ever done something, it's revolutionary, groundbreaking. Uh, when they had the reason why I bring Super Mario Brothers three up, and it's probably my favorite game of all time. If a gun to my head, it's my favorite game of all time, because it was the first time that you ever had uh, uh, parallaxing side scrolling uh, when you were doing platforming. It was the first time ever in a, a gaming console that you ever had that moment, and it was all because of the original inception of the pre FX chip. It was actually enhanced the cart so you could add more colors. But they're more RAM, more processing, all that on a cart, so you didn't actually have to change your system. You could just update the cart itself. So for me, that was mind-blowing at the time, being able to play, and how large the game was. It was one of the largest games. That, and it was the games that you couldn't save games back in those days, right? You didn't have the battery. So only certain games had a battery that you could save games on. Uh, absolutely. So with the, uh, we all know the pain of the batteries going out and you losing your save file. That's always been heartbreaking. But that was one of the games where, like, I always tell the story with Deuce. It's like, I remember you had World World Eight, and this is before we knew about the warp whistles. So I was going through, just wanting to beat the game, and all of a sudden, I just you had to leave a game sitting there and don't turn it off because you didn't, couldn't save it. So I remember I go up, play ball, whatever, come back, and all of a sudden, my game was reset. I guess when my mom was cleaning, she bumped it. And back in those days, it was uh, the inside uh, uh, cartridges. It wasn't the top loading. It was the in, uh, I guess the inside. So if you bumped it just a little bit, the game would reset. So it was one of those things where it's like I pulled my hair out. I was like, no! But it was awesome to see that sports games are the main reason why we got batteries because you that you want to be able to save rosters and save seasons and all that. So they had the battery that you would be able to actually save something in the game. And that, for me, I think sports games, love them or not, they kind of revolutionized saving games for home consoles. So. so if you ever worked with a sponsor that had money and they brought you in as their consultant team and you wanted to run a contest, what game would you choose as your contest that you would favor for the public to play on? Like current games or? Uh, any game. Any game. What, what is the first name comes to mind? When, I, when you just talk about gaming? Yeah. I, I love Tetris, first of all. Tetris is a big love of mine. Our, our third member, uh, Brandy Womack, she's a huge Tetris fan. She's actually d really good at it. Uh, that's a game that's simple. You pick up and play. There's an objective goal. You can get rack up points. You can rack up totals. It still holds up today, I think. Tetris yeah. has had several iterations throughout the years. Uh, but I think Tetris is one of those games that's a no. I mean, I mean. Where do you think the evolution of gaming is going for the future? 
Well, now that they're experiencing the whole VR is making a comeback, virtual reality is making a comeback with the Oculus Rift and the PlayStation VR and Samsung VR. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of these companies that are kind of jumping back into the VR headspace, especially since uh, Facebook bought Oculus. So it's like now it's like you have this huge billion-dollar corporation that's not really a gaming company, but they help put you know other companies in business like Zynga and all that, you know Farmville and whatnot. So Facebook has a history of being able to catapult people into the stratosphere. So I feel like if you have a company like Facebook that obviously there's, what, 750 million users, I mean, you're going to hit a huge demographic if they just do a small little advertisement or sponsorship. People right. are going to be, even if 1% of those people hit that, they're going to sell a lot of Oculus Rifts. Yeah, dude, speaking of Facebook, what, what are your uh, thoughts on that? I mean, so many of the apps look very similar. I mean, do you think it's something that could continue, or do you think it's something that, that would burn out rather relatively quickly? What do you mean, like the games on Facebook, or Facebook the site itself? Well, not Facebook, not Facebook for games, for the apps that are in play. It's like there's Farmville, there's Mafia yeah, Wars. I see, mean, I, it, for me, it's like I, I don't play any of them myself just because for me, it's just they seem like a waste. Yeah. It's like I don't want to do anything on my phone other than call, text, maybe do Twitter, a little bit of Facebook. But give your inside history of smartphones. Yeah, yeah. You're new to the world. You've only had a smartphone a couple of years. Yeah, like, I've only had a smartphone so for a year and a half. Before like, that, I, I, like I, I was his GPS. I yeah, was his calculator. Google. I was his Google. Yeah. He'd call me and ask me stuff like, hey, Johnny, remind me to this game's coming on or record this thing and like he's only so he's only had an iPhone for a couple of years so yeah. he's really I think new I to all this be coming up on the two year mark like yeah. soon but I mean so it yeah hasn't so been he's long, someone that so. hasn't actually had a full yeah. experience with the but smartphone it's like, if I want to play a game I want to play it on my PlayStation 4 like I want to play it on my big screen TV like I don't want to play a game on my phone but the, the reason why I asked that question is I was playing a game called Lucky Slots. Okay. Yep. Slot machine. Yeah. Sure. So you work yourself up in progression. I don't know how much time you have for the show, but yeah, I'm going to make, make this analogy really quick because a lot of people spend money and a lot of media tends to bash gamers, people that game because we're enthusiasts and they deem as, oh, you're a gamer, you're nothing. Yeah. But I made a living at gaming, so right. really they point yeah. the finger. Yeah. But I, I'm, look, I'm playing this game Lucky Slots and I realize that at a top tier level, they offer, like for 200 bucks, you get $2.4 million credit in the game. Yeah. Okay, so I worked myself up, so every time I pull that handle, the max bet is 600,000 yeah. per, per max bet. Now, again, $200 real money yeah. that you're gonna spend for 2.4 million. Yeah. That means if I pull that handle four times, yeah. 6, 12, 18, 24, within 30 seconds, I just lost 200 bucks. Yeah. Yep. Real See, money. And I, don't, I don't like that stuff. And it seems like a lot of the Facebook games now, it's like you've got to do stuff where it costs real money. Does that make sense? Like there's like little things you got to get okay. for different games. But there's also a, a finite of analyzing the game. Now, yeah. when I played Lucky Slots, I looked at each table and what the payouts were. It's like yeah. going to Vegas yeah, or yeah. going to work. I mean, I play Blackjack as my game. I, yeah. I, and um, so, okay, I go there and I play the game. I look at the payouts. And it says 10 times value of your bonus. Yeah. So if my bonus is $4 million and I die at 10 times value, how much is that? Uh, I'm 40, not 40 million. Yeah. 40 million yeah. So I got 40 million. Holy God. I just I didn't spend any money. Yeah. So I got 1 trillion gold in this game. Yeah. If I was to spend real money, it would cost me $88 million. Oh, wow. Do you wow. look like I'd spend $88 million on a real game? No. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when I ask about the evolution of gaming, and I look at games like this that are online, I play a game called Conquer Online. It's okay. an MMORPG type of game out okay. of China. There are servers here. A friend asked me, hey, you think you could play it? And tell me you some pointers on it. This was back in 2009. Oh, wow. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. I'll play it, see what I think. And at first I was just like, well, it's an okay game. But after playing a while, you really get soaked into the game. Yeah. 
So since 2009, I have 11 grand into the game. Oh, wow. Uh, real money. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was a proponent to say I would never invest money, that kind of money, in, in a game that you play online that you never right. own. Yeah. You, you can't keep. And now, later on down, I'm, and you're only as good as how much you're willing to spend. It's not That's an true. ability. Yeah. You know, you can be the best gamer alive, and as long as I can invest more money, I'm going to kick your butt every time. Right, because you can get better weapons, better true. armor. I'd rather go like stuff. I just did with Keith Swanson and play Gorf, and it's not on the ability. Who... You know, yeah. who, who is the more observant, who is the more dedicated, who is the more involved in what you're playing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, but also you got to look at it, too. From the mobile division, it's it's really I, – I talk about this a lot because certain things hit at a wrong time. And we talked about the Magnavox Odyssey. It really was kind of early ahead of its time. and didn't really hit the strike, hit the stride. But you look at the Nokia Engage. That was actually the first real legitimate gaming uh, cell phone gamer, you know, uh, console for your game, you know, handheld gaming, and no one bought it. No one understood it. People were like, what do you mean playing game on my phone? I don't want to do that. What's that all about? And it tanked. But Americans are so, I feel like a lot of us Americans in the United States and North America, we're so slow to to the technology out there. We're advancing. Here, but here's I the feel, key. Yeah. When you see a game and you like the game, you'll play it. But yeah. if you see a game and you're not really inter interested or don't understand it, it's like I put the game here. How many people came and played it? Nobody played it until they saw people playing it in a crowd gathered around. Like, what is this? It's intriguing. They look like they're having fun. I want to have fun. Sure. But if it just sits there and does nothing, I don't care how good your game is. If there's no one there to take the time to play it, it's a waste of time that the person put in it to play it. Marketing is everything. Bring it to consumer that's interested why they want to play it. And, and making people, once people see it and see the fun that people are having, they can associate the fun factor. Well, well the reason why I bring it up is because, you know, in Japan, They've been playing cell phone games for you know ten years prior than before we even got the first iPhone. The iPhone really kind of hit the market when it came to uh, you know gaming because it hit you know they hit a huge uh, the App Store was really big with a game called Angry Birds. Oh, Angry yeah. Birds blew up the world like it was all over the world because it was an easy thing. Touched it taught you how to play a game, swiping, touching, and the mechanics were simple. You know, it was like playing. Uh, I don't know what you want to call Angry Birds. You destroyed stuff, whatever. Oh, worms. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot yeah, like worms. Yeah, a lot like worms. So it's like it's a simple game, simple concept. Cut the Rope is another game that was very big that took on. Like uh, Doodle Jump is another one. that Like oh, yeah. all these games hit the right time, and that really – because if you look at it, Deuce and I, I'm sort of the three of us, quote-unquote hardcore gamers, gamers that yeah. never stop playing. We, we still love the industry. We still research stuff. But – the, the great thing about the mobile division is it's, it hits to a casual audience. Everybody can have access to yeah. it. And so you, the potential to make more money is huge. Because you look at Nintendo, they are now putting out, uh, at the end of the year, they're putting out their very first mobile game. Like this, this is a huge deal for a company like Nintendo that's, you know, has their ways or setting their ways very much on how they do things. And they don't like to branch off too much. And now, with the passing of Satoru Iwata, the new president coming in, he's like, "Hey, we got to continue riding this on. We got, we understand that, especially over in the east, oh, yeah. there is so many people that play games on their phones. It's insane. Oh, yeah. And over here in America, now it's starting to grow and starting to expand. It's like Nintendo's like, "Hey, we need to hit everybody, not just yeah. one niche market. That's the thing with a lot of us hardcore gamers is we're pretty niche still as a whole population." And that was the one of the things I, I liked about um, Wizard 101, for instance. You know, it's not just an adult game because it's adult kind of mentality to play it because there's logic behind it. But any kids can play it. They can get on, and some kids pick up a lot more quick than adults. And it's just game observation. There's puzzles in the game. Uh, there's there's ways you you defeat monsters in the game, but to take the adult kind of thinking or childish kind of mentality because you're 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 having fun as a family. You know, and and I think a lot of companies when they capitalize on that are are uh, on the right track because everyone wants to play as a group. 
But then people want to play like the Madden footballs. Hey, let me go against you and see how I have a better football team. And you know, it. What's your thoughts on PC gaming? I like PC gaming because again, you see limitations. There's more. It has more flexibility, like a Doom or a Quake or something like that. Uh, or Diablo, you know, you, you play it, they're, they're, they can always add extensions onto the game. You're not pigeonholed to just one little group. They, you know, several years go by, you got four more extensions, four more worlds, you got more things to explore, more characters. Like World of Warcraft is, it was a huge... Yeah, I play League of Legends, I play World of Warcraft, I play Star Trek Online. I mean, there's a, there's a host of online games I do play, but with that, you, you have an expense... You know, when you play everything, you're going to spend a lot of money. Sure. Uh, and, and again, and for, for things that are added additional to the original game that you have, unless you have a sponsor, uh, I hope you have a great job. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for me personally, it, I mean, I mentioned earlier about the original, like, home PCs were green screened and they were floppies and, like, they were very expensive. Not everyone you knew had them. And it's a lot of programming, which you're probably familiar with. And it, for me, it's like it wasn't until, like, Windows 95 that it really made the home PC affordable. And that's when you really started. Because before that, it was all Macintosh that was oh, doing like games. Z remember Zork? Yeah. There's you know, a text the adventure game. I didn't know yeah. what a topiary was, so I looked in a dictionary because this thing killed my character. I'm like, yeah. what is this topiary, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's a text adventure games use your mind, you know, and those were those were a lot of fun. But it wasn't until 95 when the introduction of the PC, the Windows PC. Right. Uh, I mean, you had Windows 3.1 before, but it wasn't until 95 when it was affordable enough for the average consumer. That's when he saw PC gaming explode across because before that, it was just Macintosh games. And right. Macintosh actually took a hit. Like, people, uh, companies weren't producing and publishing games for the Macintosh because of the install base. There was so many. It was like 3 to 1 when it came to PC. Yeah. Want to talk wrestling? Talk to the guy in a red shirt right there. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you, I know exactly what you're saying, and that was that's just something that a lot of the manufacturers cap they, they look at and say, hey, we have a gold mine here, you know, like what the Farmville is. I mean, Jesus, or the PC games because with expansion packages, you're not limiting yourself to just one basic uh, product. You can extrapolate on it, and, and and then three years later down the road, uh oh, here comes something else that you can play and it'll make the game more fun because you can go back and play the original in lieu of what's already added onto it, the characters or weapons. Well, and you mentioned Quake earlier. Quake was a very important game because it kind of, up until that point, you didn't really have uh, a first-person shooter, really. It was kind of like the first baby, if you will, the evolution, because Doom pretty much took the engine of Quake and pretty much expanded upon that. And actually, back in those days, a lot of a lot of uh, companies did what we call freeware. They wanted to share, like, it was like, they were like, hey, uh, the people that made Doom were like, hey, here's the first three levels, share it. Tell everyone about it. And it got a, he was an awesome word of mouth marketing campaign. It went viral. Like everyone was like, hey, download it. I don't care. Make copies of it. Send it to everybody. Well, you that's the way the games were sold on the Atari 100 or Commodore 64. Sure. They were in Ziploc bags with custom drawn artwork yep. at, at uh, uh, video gaming retail stores. I mean, they weren't even in a box. It was in a Ziploc bag. And you're going, what am I buying here? It's on a, it's on a disc. It's eight inch. It's a big, yeah. big or it's huge. Ones, you yeah. Know? It's just interesting to me because, like, from whenever you get something that's like you get like lightning in a bottle and it's very popular, like all of a sudden sometimes it can fizzle out and fade away. So you look at like some of these mobile games, like Farmville doesn't have the same push as it used to. Like it was no, huge no, in the day. All. Like I'd say circa 2000, 2010, it was as big as you can get yeah. uh, those type of games. And that's why my question to you actually is, what do you think? How do you, how well do you think the VR, the new insurgence of VR, is going to do? Do you think it's going to Still be like a niche audience, a niche even for gamers. It's like a because the problem my problem I have is you already have like an Xbox One or a PS4 or whatever you got or a PC, and then you've got to drop two to three hundred dollars for an additional peripheral. Then you've got to hope there's games for it, and I think that's 
I, I think it all depends on the consumer and how imaginative they are. You know, I mean, they had hologram games back in the 80s mm -hmm. that looked real. Uh, and then they had other games, too, that would, would, would like with the Wii. They had movement. Sure. They just were not retail marketed to a wider audience. I don't sure. know why they never did. Well, but you look at Lawnmower Man, like that. even movies were kind of innovating with trying to like figure yeah. out what the future of VR was going to be. Uh, I, I think, again, uh, testing is everything. Having, you, having it um, catered to an audience that's willing to accept it. Uh, listening to what the audience has to say. The viewing public is what I'm saying. Um, if you don't listen to who you're selling it to, if you just keep making the madness, the same madness, the same game, just with better graphics all the time and offer no other way to play it, it gets droll. And I'm not knocking the product. I'm just saying, you know, it's the same thing. Come up with something different. And if a virtual reality or something that, that offers you a better interactivity that makes it more realistic, you know, I think they should really, really focus in on that. Well, there's a lot of talk out there that maybe they should have the Oculus or the PlayStation VR make it more than just a gaming device. Have it, hey, you want to take a, take a tour of the Louvre? Pop that, pop it in and play. You want to be able to see what it's like to be on a football field? Or a camera, helmet camera? Like there's all these awesome potentials that can really kind of broaden that audience, not just to the hardcore gamer. See, it's ideas like this that they should listen to people like you that they should take into consideration to broaden their horizons for their brand or product. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, you also look at, like, kids, too. Like, my, I have two kids. My son's five and my daughter's two and a half. And, like, I I grew up with well, – I put a controller in their hand, just like I like Deuce and I were. And I said, hey, here's Kirby. Check him out. Simple simple mechanics, simple game. And here's Mario. Pla That's why I love platformers. There's a simple objective. You jump and get to the goal, right? That's what most platformers are about. They're easy concept in the brain. And right now, at five years old, I he's been playing Minecraft. Minecraft is a huge success, huge and he and reason why he played it is because his friends told him about it. And he's like, "Hey, I love Minecraft. Minecraft's awesome." And I think having your friends, you when you're young, especially young, they mean their word means a lot to you. That's why that whole when you get them young, they say, like you get that word of mouth, that that experience, that exposure at such a young age, then they're just gonna be fans for life. Yeah, but you see what they like too. You know, That's not true. everybody likes racing games. Not everybody likes sure. I don't play sports games. Right. You know, sports games are fun. I'm not saying they're not. I just don't play them. Mm -hmm. I, I like racing. I like shoot 'em games. I like reflex games. I like ones where you have to think about whatever to get to, to make the game end sure you know so I think I think it's 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 looking at the the consumer or like you say your child uh, and looking at what each child likes and sort of like melding it with that and Minecraft is great it, the possibilities are endless well and my wife our third member actually she uh, she's probably put in she's really late to the party when it comes to Minecraft but she has Minecraft for the PS4 and she's probably dropped 350 hours in less than 10 months oh, like wow. just insane and like she's 30 she could be a 30, beta tester she could be she's 30 years old and she just started a game that the average mean age that plays minecraft is uh seven years old there you I go think. minecraft developers uh you know <laughs> i mean but yeah. it's cool because like for my wife the reason she loves it it's virtual legos yeah. like it's being able to go and create whatever you want and that and that she hasn't played it this is obviously there's a survival mode to it as well where you try to survive get get resources and build stuff but she's more on the creative aspect and that's what blew her mind was like hey i can just there's, there's an endless palette. You can just go on forever, especially with the processing power of something like a current gen, like the things you can do, the draw distance and all that. It's so much bigger than you know growing back in the day. So for her, it's like she just spent so many hours into it, and now she's hooked. And now whenever another Minecraft or another uh, DLC or whatever comes out, she's going to buy it, and that's that's awesome. So I think that's what's great is like when you when it comes to gaming, sure, you have your favorite genres. Like you said, you certain genres you love. Like for me, I like fighting games, but I'm not the biggest fighting game. Uh, person, but whenever Street Fighter comes out, that's Street my Fighter jam. Street Fighter 4, what's your favorite character? Street Fighter 4... Mm. You know who Justin Wong is, don't you? Mm, yeah. yeah, I watched him play. He's, he's, he's amazing. He's awesome. 
I, I'm more old school. I use Blanca. Uh, Blanca's good. Uh, I like. I probably go with Ken. Probably. Um, I know I'm old school though. I love the original eight fighters from Street Fighter Two because Jason and I were talking about the original Street Fighter Two. Now we're gonna have to find a game here and take your your program to where we can actually have a live uh, event where oh, I'm going. Man, to I wish we could. That'd be if, awesome. If we had enough extension cables, there wasn't so much going on. <laughs> we'd do it. But then again, there is the after party tonight after ten for all of us working at the convention. So you never know what'll happen. Yeah. So it's for me, it's just amazing to see something like Free Play Florida where you just have people of all walks of life. I mean, see every every age group is in here. And I think that's good parenting when you can bring your kids in and be like, hey, this is where gaming started. This is what a pinball is. And right. this, you know, this is what, you know, you look at franchises, too, because we, we talked to Gary Stern, you know, from Stern Pinball. And he, uh, you know, he's doing all these amazing machines like uh, Metallica and all that and X-Men. And he's have all these licensed products that people are familiar with. And when you're familiar with a product, you're going to be, especially if you're a big fan, like I'm a huge Star Wars nut. Anytime I see the Star Wars logo on something, I'm going to go check it out no matter what it is. Absolutely. So I think that's very important, especially in something like gaming, to hit that that fan base, that outside that likes it. You know, Because I know a lot of friends of mine, they only play pinball games. That's it. And they that they don't play anything else, but they, they go and they love the experience. Like My favorite uh, television show of all time is the Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone. Uh, I've probably seen every episode hundreds of times. And every time I get to see like a pinball, a Twilight Zone pinball, it just gives me this euphoric experience because there's a tactile, like visceral response when you play a pinball game that you don't really get anywhere else. So that's that's one of the things that I, I appreciate with a convention like this is it gets it's literally hands-on. You, know, you, you talk about phones and all this, and there's like slot machines, and there's you know pinball games on your phone, but there's not, it doesn't have the same experience of going you know in person and, and going to the arcade. And that's one thing that I do wish uh, that I miss is going into every you know gas station, bowling alley, laundromat. You had a pinball or arcade machine in there you could play, and that's kind of waned a little bit. But you have this underground market that's really expanding, and I feel like there's. In a weird way, there's a renaissance yeah, happening. That's the wonders of modern technology. You can incorporate almost every game that you could play. I mean, I got 6,000 ROMs on MAME, and then you have like the MAME, the, the V MAME, the video pinball MAME. I mean, you can, I probably have 300 pinball tables. Wow. But it does not give you the same feeling or atmosphere as walking into a game room, playing the actual game or pinball game, and having the crowd behind you watch you that you're doing something that they always wish it's they could do. It's a natural high, too. When oh, you yeah. So, so trying to clone that is impossible. Playing the game for your own enjoyment is one thing, but trying to recreate the atmosphere is almost like this right here. This is very, very, very close to what you would actually get in an actual arcade from years ago. It is. Except for putting money in the, the slots every time you die. I yeah. mean, you, you pay your admission, which is equal, but I'm just saying. Sure. You don't have to. And then lighting and kids coming up and saying, hey, I'm going to put the... You know, I played uh, drivers for 36 hours to get $40 million. And I can tell you what, one day some guy coming with his girlfriend was slapping the tokens down, and years ago that meant, hey, I'm next. So I'd make him intentionally wait. I would play till I get 900,000, and he'd have to wait at least a, an hour or two. He'd come around, I'd be still on the same life. He'd take his tokens up, walk around, play something, come back, slap him down. It's like, dude, you're going to wait all freaking day because I'm yep. not done, you know? Yep. So that, you can't, you can't emulate that. You have to be in the now of current. You know, I mean, the baby boomers really can't. Uh, or like, yeah, the latter part of the baby boomers is where the gaming community is. But anybody before 1960 don't really have the passion uh, or the enthusiasm of gamers of now. I mean, I'm not saying older people aren't gamers because they they have. I mean, if Scrabble or Shadoku is their their way of entertainment, then great. But most of the older clientele that I've ever spoken with are like, oh, video games. I don't know. Maybe I played Pong in the 70s, and it's like you don't know what you're missing. 
But then in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, they had their own form of entertainment. You know, if it was going to a movie or was playing cards or whatever, you know. I wanted to get your thoughts, too, on this real quick. Like, Deuce and I, our generation, like, we, we grew up, you know, through all the major innovations, you know, throughout the years. But, like, I feel like now there's a, there's, I use the word renaissance a lot, but, like, I really do feel there's a renaissance of 2D games now coming back, to, even to the current consoles. Like, I don't know if you heard of a game called Shovel Knight. It is amazing. It is literally, it looks like something from, from the NES era, made with the original uh, art style, original way they created games. Also, they the soundtrack was created on an original NES cart. So, like, all the sounds and chips and everything you hear, the triangles and the basses and all that stuff, like, you can hear all of that in there. And it's like as if you were transported back in the 80s. And it's for me, right. it's, it's people my age, my generation, making these games because they grew up that way. And I think that's what's so great. But you see, like, a resurgence of something that you grew up loving. It's not, nothing's truly gone. You know, nothing's really gone forever. Well, here's an example of what I, I, I really can't stand about a game, the limitations. You go to play a game, and there's a door. You can't open the door. I want to go inside the building. I want to go behind the counter. I want to go up the steps. I mean, I realize there's a lot of programming involved, and there's things that you're taking away from the game. But I'm one who likes to explore every possibility of the game. And if I want to walk into a shop and just look around and pretend I'm, I'm in there, that would be really cool. I mean, I play Wizard 101. You can go in different rooms, but then there's different places you cannot go. I mean, just put a wall up there or something. Don't make it look like there's an endless corridor and you can't go up the endless corridor. I hate that. Well, you remember a game that re was really innovative, uh, Mist for PC? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That game is also kind of what you're talking about, exploratory. You, you want to explore and find things. You can find keys that open certain windows and this and that. And it's to it, it doesn't really, I don't think it does a great job of teaching you how to play, but all of a sudden it's trial and error. You're like, hey, this window won't open or this door won't open. Now, obviously, there's something I need to do. Deuce, that. are you always this quiet? No, he's running around doing stuff. No, I'm doing a ton of stuff because actually that's... I mean, your listeners want to know why, you, why you're absent <laughs> for here. And we're, oh, we're that's because I'm doing all the MC announcements and taking yeah. care of like 100 different things. Oh, yeah, and Johnny. still lining up guests and everything. But Johnny... Johnny's taking the ball and run with it like he always I does. So he's doing an awesome, awesome job. Yeah. I mean, I could talk about do. I mean, I could talk about video games for yeah. right? the Johnny and Todd show. You can go out and pretend <laughs> you're me, maybe. You know. <laughs> I sit, could be your intern. Go, go set a high score in clacks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, um, no, it's all good. I just wanted the listeners to know what you're doing because. Oh yeah, yeah, You yeah. do have a program here, and yeah. you're not as prevalent as you should be. And well, it's you know, usually the opposite. Sometimes, like my I, my my time is uh, very limited because I have two kids, and we only have one car right now. So like tonight, when I leave. He's taking over the reins. He'll yeah, be doing so the like rest. So I won't be he here bounces, all night like he will. So it's like so, it's like yeah. split between the two of us if we can't make. We, we try to make their time to shine. We try to make I mean? our event. Yeah. Both of us try to make all the events, but sometimes one of us has to leave early or split or something, and then the other one takes over. You know, we be, we're, we're professional talkers. We, we can yeah. do this all day till the till the cows come home. So it's something we've been doing forever, and uh, we we have a you know fun fan base that loves. So we're taking calls right now at 800 555 If you have any questions uh, for Johnny and Deuce, yep. uh, you can call right now and ask us questions. Yeah. I wonder Kidding. what that number is. Oh, Great and Clark's Yeah, yeah. I, they're kicking me off the, sh the, the stage here, guys. Oh, you're fine. No, that's all good. Actually, we'd love to have you uh, on again. Uh, we do. I don't know. Where do you live? Are you uh, local? I live or? about 80 miles uh, west of Orlando. Okay. We also do a... Uh, Oh, here's our card here, by the way. We also do Google Hangouts, um, and the great thing about Google Hangout is it's we direct feed the audio into our soundboard, so it sounds like you're actually in the studio with us. It's really oh, cool. Awesome. So oh, you don't have good. to be. It would be cool to talk to you again because I, you and I are just spitballing. I, I have off. 76 gaming system and 11,000 games at my house, so it's never a dull moment. Yeah, and I we, I just love games and I love the history of them and I love researching and seeing why a game got popular and, and who's innovating on what and that's why I love, I it's eye candy like it's almost like. You, every time we're talking, I'm looking at seeing lights, something flash. And I'm just like, 
Where am I at? What's going on? Yeah, you gotta do your you gotta do your uh, your podcast while playing the game, so the uh, the your your listeners can hear how savvy you are, Ido. Well, we actually do a Twitch stream, um, and we actually for the 25th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers 3, we actually did a uh, Twitch stream for that game. Nice. And we have uh, we were talking about the game and the history of it, and we're also playing it. So people that want to see more about our th- our Ooh. knowledge of games, we actually do that from time to time. We've been really busy because it takes a lot of time commitment to sit down and actually Twitch stream something. But people can go on our twitch.tv forward slash happy hour podcast. They can go on there and check out. My wife has done Minecraft. She did a two-hour Minecraft Twitch stream uh, just by herself. It was really cool. Check that out. Uh, We've done stuff uh, for Super Mario Bros. 3. We've done stuff for Super Mario Bros. 64. There's a lot of really cool games. We kind of hit all different genres and and whatnot. So Destiny and all kinds of stuff. So definitely check that out. And how do people find you on the Internet? Uh, well, you, if you go out and do a search, I don't have a website anymore. And it's too hard to maintain. You have to have other people do that for you. But if you just search Todd Rogers and Gamer. Um, and that's T-O-D-D-R-O-G-E-R-S? Correct. No D in and, the and No D. Okay. And, and in Gamer, uh, you'll probably come across my Facebook. Usually I update a lot of the material I've done and the shows I've, I've gone to on the Facebook. Um, but, yeah, if you just want to find out who I am, uh, Todd Rogers and Gamer. And usually there's a bunch of documentaries. I've been like King of Kong, Chasing Ghost, Frag, High Score, Nintendo Quest, Video Gaming Craze. Um, you know, or Guinness. You go to Guinness and put longest held video gaming record. You'll see me with the dragster for thirty plus years. Awesome. So Todd Rogers, he is a professional gamer. He's also been a publisher. He's he's a creator. He does everything. He's also a really good talker. So we want to have him back in on the Happy Hour Giant and do. So stay tuned for future time with Todd Rogers. Todd Rogers, thank you so much for joining us with the Happy Hour Johnny and Deuce. Thank you so much too. Thank you for listening to the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce live from Free Play Florida. Don't forget, you can follow us on the internet at HH Podcast Show on Twitter, as well as on Facebook.com forward slash Happy Hour Podcast Show. And then, of course, all of our main hosting is SoundCloud.com forward slash Happy Hour Podcast. But don't forget, we're also on iTunes and Stitcher, so please give us a five star review. Tell us what you think, leave us a comment. And then, of course, we're going to be doing a mailbag episode soon. Send us a line, hhpodcastshow at gmail.com. And remember, when you're talking about the happy hour with Johnny and Deuce, there's not one, not two, but three hashtags you want to put in your social media of choice. It is hashtag happy hour podcast, hashtag hhpodcastshow, and, of course, hashtag deuces on the loose. Later. Later.